Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Royal France podcast. This is Walter Emerson. So, up through the last episode, I think I got us up to the introduction of St. Mary Magdalene and her role in this model. Uh, based off of the traditions that we have of St. Mary Magdalene in France. And there's a connection between this initial phenomenon of St. Joan of Arc that I had in my life in 2008 and all the way up to France and to St. Mary Magdalene in France and uh, what that tradition means. So what I've been kind of guiding you through in this uh, series has been what, what that line is and uh, have dr- tried to draw that line and, and kind of demonstrate how it was that I, I came to that sort of in this uh, categorical in- intuitive way of uh, seeing this construction of France and of St. Mary Magdalene on the shores of Provence uh, as a as an embodiment of France, and to um, you know demonstrate how through how that emerged, and <clears throat> excuse me, and that emerged um, sort of out of the mist, so to speak, and you know so this is a good time I think to let's take a little bit of a refle- of a reflection here. Let me let me kind of first walk you through or remind you very quickly of the stages here because there were like th- three big stages to this uh, model. The first was, you know, after I had this phenomenon, this this moment where the importance of Joan of Arc in my life became uh, so important, and I, and I just couldn't put it down. I could not. I just I couldn't not pursue the meaning of that moment when suddenly, you know, St. Joan of Arc through the hermeneutics of St. Therese's plays and poetry just emerged uh, suddenly as an important and meaningful part of my life. And so I, 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 it was not an emotional affective thing where you could just go, yeah, that, that was really neat. I, I had this big inspiring moment. It was not an, it was not an inspiring moment as much as it was some real substantive touch, uh, what St. Therese calls, uh, as I've mentioned in a previous podcast, uh, the divine glance. She mentions in her, uh, her prayer of merciful love, the uh, divine glance. And St. Edith Stein refers to it as an unreflective certainty. And I had that moment of unreflective certainty with St. Joan. And, and, now, and I've told, I've, I've told that story, but the, the, the point is that it brought about a reorientation in my thinking. And it, I, the, the best way to describe it is it, it, it awoke in me something, and I didn't recognize it at the time. I had to kind of study and figure out what it was, but a very platonic sort of, uh, you know, metaphysical uh, shift to a certain degree. Uh, I really, what I, what I really saw in, in St. Joan or influence on me was something that I, I was able to perceive from a very platonic standpoint, which is, which is very characteristic of the early church and particularly St. Augustine. And, and I've always been imbued in the metaphysics of the church. I still am. And, 
and with uh, particularly the Middle Ages, uh, and that was my initial starting point with St. Thomas Aquinas and the Summa and, and his work and, and his integration and, uh, of Aristotle into the, that logic <clears throat> into the, the foundations of, of church theology and, and philosophy. And that was kind of my starting point. And of course, that remains very critical. If you look at my work or listen to my podcast, I always say that St. Thomas and those metaphysics are really the, ba- the the boundaries. That's that's the path I'm walking on, and they're 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 guarded by these, they're they're protected by these guardrails of St. Thomas Aquinas. I don't I don't want to get outside of that. I don't want to go off in some direction that that I shouldn't go. And so I rely on that very heavily, but I also receive this very sort of platonic orientation, which is very characteristic of the early church, um, you know, going back to Augustine, early church fathers and, th- and things like that. And so what that, in my pursuit, the fact that I, I just couldn't leave alone what this meaningful moment was, I, it was like I was being called on a journey. So that led me to investigate you know, uh, philosophy. I had to, I had to, it, it wasn't just theology. I, I knew what I believed. <clears throat> I knew the doctrines of the church. I knew, you know, the, the dogmas and doctrines and, and all those things. As, as much as I think any reasonable Catholic could, I'm not an expert, but I'm reasonably well read, <clears throat> reasonably well ca- uh, catechized. And, um, and so I, I knew all that, but what I didn't know so much was the philosophy side. And the philosophy side is, is a little bit different. That, that has to do with how my thinking or, is oriented, how, how I approach understanding, I guess is the way to say it. So it's one thing to say I understand the teachings of the church and I obey the teachings of the church to the best of my ability. But it's another thing to say that uh, I understand my approach to thinking about that, which is really more more philosophy. So I, I sort of uh, kind of this this uh, platonic orientation fascinated me. I, I was like, well, I didn't really I didn't really think about that. I never really thought about the differences between Plato and Aristotle and how those played out, particularly in the thinking of of the church from the early church fathers up through St. Thomas Aquinas. And so that began to fascinate me, and I, I started looking more into that, and I thought, well, this is really real. And I, I did a lot of writing around the uh, importance of the uh, Platonic orientation in, in alliance and as a complement to the uh, Aristotelian uh, metaphysics of, of St. Thomas. So it was never a one or the other for me, but I certainly could see myself uh, as you know, becoming platonic, so to speak, through St. Joan. And I think if you read the life of St. Joan, uh, even if you don't uh, maybe agree with me or maybe you don't feel that inclination yourself, I, I, do, I do think you will see that it's a reasonable position to take when you look at St. Joan's life. I won't go into all that now, but I think if you look at her life, you know, uh, you know that she would inspire us in a platonic orientation is um, is not is not unreasonable, I, I don't think. And so I kind of went along with that and thought, wow, I just you know I sort of discovered this important piece. Now, and this is when say I keep talking about you know bringing say Nita Stein into this, and this is when I, I brought in the the uh, the um, science of the cross that Saint Edith Stein wrote, her book on Saint John of the Cross, 
And I mentioned before she was using uh, <clears throat> language that was very different, language that um, um, was very remarkable. It was beautiful. It was different than anything I'd ever heard. And I'd read, I'd read quite a few of the mystics. Uh, well, I, I say quite a few of the mystics. I mean, I was obviously very devoted to St. Therese. I'd read St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, some of the other mystics, a little bit of St. Catherine of Siena. Uh, so I'm not unaware of the language of the mystics, but this was a little bit different. <laughs> and so that intrigued me. Now I'm on another journey with St. Edith Stein, with St. Teresa Benedict of the Cross. And so uh, that led me, of course, into phenomena phenomenology. And so the, the real question I was asked after and, and the way that St. Edith Stein's phenomenology helped me was I was in a position here where um, I, I wanted to convey to people that whereas my experience with St. Joan of Arc through St. Therese was... Uh, my own sort of subjective uh, experience, but it had real meaning. It had real objective meaning that I wanted to share. The frustrating thing for me was people would say, oh, oh, that's wonderful. You have such wonderful thoughts and things like that. And I, and I kept going, well, these aren't just wonderful thoughts in sort of a Cartesian sense where I've created this, uh, these nice thoughts in my own mind, in my own Cartesian theater, and they're just purely subjective and, and people. And so people would look at me and say, oh, those are what I say, don't look at me. <laughs> I'm trying to tell you about something else. I'm trying to point you to something that was given to me. I'm explaining what was given to me. And you can start to recognize some of the phenomenological orientation in that statement. And I even wrote uh, in, in one uh, you know, blog post I did about the fact that I, I, wanted, I didn't want people to look at what my ideas were. I wanted to reflect it on the St. Joan and St. Therese because it was really, I'm trying to explain what I received from them, which Yes, that's my experience in my own consciousness, but it's a real meaning. And so I'm trying to convey reality to other people, but through my subjective experience. And that, that, that became the central question for me. How do you do that? And, you know, um, uh, you know every, as Martin Heidegger said, every philosopher has one question they spend their entire life trying to answer. And, and this really became my question that just kept driving me and driving me is, how do, I, how do I explain something that is my experience, my perception, my reception of what is given to me, and convey it in a way that is, that, that is, uh, demonstrates true meaning to other, to other people? Not that they would perceive it the way I do. Sure, there's a subjective standpoint to it. But, but how, do you, how do you do that? And how do you share your personal experience in a way that you're trying to say, don't, no, don't look at me or think of, of, of what I'm doing. I'm trying to point you to something that I, I would like you to look at. I'd like you to consider 
the meaning of this in your life. So, you know, that that's what really was the, the driving point. And, and St. Edith Stein's uh, phenomenology proved to be really the, the, av- the avenue. I, 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 it was really the path that opened up for me the uh, opportunity to explore that. And I, I certainly don't have the answer to that. I don't know that I ever will. I don't know that we ever answer those questions in full, but it certainly gave me a path that I could follow that, you know, staying in the bounds of the trail of the dogmatic creed with, uh, you know, uh, the, the metaphysics of the church, guarding, guarding the, the trail, keeping me hopefully from going off path, but it gave me a chance to explore this notion of uh, receiving an experience from the world and then contemplating how to share that as a real reality with other people that they might be able to draw meaning from that as well. And that was that's really the phenomenology, the phenomenological approach that has proven to be so fruitful, uh, even though uh, at, at times I feel I'm as far from answering the question as I was from the beginning, and yet at the same time feel that I've been advancing, uh, you know, I feel like I've been, I've been advancing in a uh, life-giving way, in a life-affirming way, <laughs> even though I'm not sure I'm any closer to the answer. Um, but it certainly uh, played a role. And so that's why in my work, there's sort of this mixture of, you know, our, our church metaphysics, the metaphysics with the phenomenology, and I think that's something that really that Edith Stein did that was so so great. Because if you're familiar with some of the phenomenologists, um, you, you know you you kind of note that this is in a post-metaphysical environment. Metaphysics has collapsed. Uh, um, you know Nietzsche trounced on them, right? <laughs> he didn't he didn't want them, and people like Heidegger were were influenced by Nietzsche, and so there's this question of the beauty of phenomenology, but at the same time, what do you do uh, in, in, when a lot of its cre- a lot of the thinking's created in a world that seems to be post metaphysical? And Edith Stein was <laughs> that was the the miracle for me was because in her um, work in reconciling phenomenology with uh, medieval scholasticism and Thomism and St. Thomas, you know, she really brought those two together. And that's why you see in my work, you see, you know, a metaphysical uh, structure, which hopefully is the, is the, the church's metaphysical structure, um, heavily uh, uh, guided by Platonism, uh, though certainly complementary to and welcoming the Aristotelianism of, 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 St. Thomas, but that that whole metaphysics that overlays the phenomenology of the work that I'm doing with St. Joan and St. Therese. And so uh, that, that that's a little bit of, uh, I guess, uh, the philosophical history or, or whatever. Uh, but I think it's important at this point to say it because going back to the original point about introducing this larger concept of uh, royal France, and of St. Mary Magdalene and the integration of St. Mary Magdalene's tradition of being in France to the model is because through the phenomenology, these categorical intuitions begin coming together 
the dots began to connect. Pictures began to emerge as to what this might look like. And, and, and what my striving for was to say, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm receiving. This is what I see emerging out of the mist. Not something that I'm just creating in my own Cartesian theater uh, because I think it sounds neat, but that I'm, I'm really reaching and saying, I, this is what I see coming out of the mist. I'm telling you about my experience. I'm telling you about what I'm seeing. And, and so that's, you know, at this point, that was the beauty. I could see France. I could see uh, Mary Magdalene on the shores of Provence. I could see this connection, uh, particularly to the tradi- traditions of France and the church. They're small t traditions, not, not doctrinal traditions. But I could equate it to the traditions of France and France's role in the church. So anyway, it's time for me to kind of cut this off. I don't like to run these too long, and uh, I'll pick it up and and continue. But that's kind of the history of of how this thing got here uh, philosophically, and we're now firmly planted on the shores of Provence with St. Mary Magdalene through the hearts of St. Joan of Arc and St. Therese. So there's still some more I'll be happy to be going through that with you in the future. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.